welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Comic Chronicle Podcast. I'm your guys' host, Dakota Morgan, coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. Now, I hope, as of this recording right now, that humanity is still alive. So it's kind of good to know. Every week, you know, humanity's still going. We're still going strong. Uh, hopefully, you guys are washing your hands right now at the moment here and staying safe, staying isolated, staying quarantined. If you're sick, just do what you need to do, folks. Wash your hands. Please stay safe. Please stay healthy. Besides that little PSA out of the way from the CDC, eh, no, it's not really. I just want to make sure you guys live because you know what i give a shit about you guys i really do care about my fans and the listeners we have today a really good guest anthony desiato is on the show anthony is the director of a new documentary that's on apple and also amazon prime at the moment my comic shop documentary and it came out at such an interesting time when comic book shops are endangered at the moment here with the corona and all that other sort of jazz so it's we go behind the scenes of filmmaking and documentary a little bit we also go behind the scenes of comic book shops and we also talk about why comic book shops are important and the communities that we have with them and our brick and mortars and reading comics and our first comic books are so much good stuff here that you guys are probably going to relate a lot to maybe learn a couple things you did not know as well in the process but hopefully you guys enjoy it and learn a few things from it and if you like it you can subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher or comicchronicle.podbean.com new guests every week or perhaps reviews or talk show stuff things are kind of weird right now so just bear with us here as we go through this weird time together and also folks if you want to stay in touch with everything on the show you can on twitter at dakota morgan 3 or on instagram you can follow me at dakota underscore morgan 97 that's at dakota underscore morgan 97 on instagram and at dakota morgan 3 on twitter so thanks everyone for tuning into this and you know stay tuned for some more fun stuff folks and we're trying to give you guys some escapism in this world that we're in and this intro is already two minutes it's getting kind of long so without further ado let's go behind the scenes with my guest anthony we are recording man and to get the telemetries out of the way i guess you could say or the the britishness in me is anthony welcome to the show good man thank you so much for having me i appreciate it of course and dude dude I just got to say, you combined, because I work in comics and film, and you just combined everything that I love of filmmaking and comics, and you came out with a really cool movie, and I just want to, this may sound like the Time Interview Magazine thing, and the listeners are like, what the hell? But I definitely got to say, your movie now is more relevant than ever. Yeah, so it's it's been really interesting, you know, promoting the movie and everything and having it come out in the midst of all of this. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when I made them, and you know, this movie was a long time coming. You know, I, I filmed, I ran a Kickstarter campaign for it at the end of 2017. I shot it in 2018. I did most of the editing in 2019. So, you know, this has been a long time coming. Never, ever could I have imagined that it would come out in the midst of this. Um, our original uh, release date was going to be April 7th, day before my birthday. I was like, oh, it'll be nice. We ended up moving up the release because, you know, it, it really seemed like there was this appetite for, you know, people who are home, cooped up, looking for things to watch and, and read and listen to. But then on top of that, you know, comic shops, of course, you know, are, are I mean, everyone is affected by what's going on. But yeah. on the small business side in particular, you know, comics are comic shops are especially hard hit. And, you know, the, the movie was always a love letter to comic shops. And it just felt like, you know, the movie. And, you know, not to be too precious about it, but it's like the movie could actually do some good. Like it might shine a light on what these stores go through on a good day. Um, You know, it might remind people to get in touch with their local comic shop. It, you know, might help explain for people who aren't into this, like why it matters to so many people. So, you know, we moved up the release date and the movie's been out and, you know, people have... I've been getting a lot of wonderful feedback, and it's all kind of been within that context of like, oh, it, I watched this, and, and it made me want to reach out to my local comic book store. And that's, 
you know, it's great. Like, I wish it didn't have to come out. I wish this wasn't happening and we didn't have to come out of the midst yeah. of this. But I'm glad that it can serve. I, I genuinely believe it would have served a, a valid and valuable purpose no matter what. But the fact that it can do that even more so now, uh, yeah, I'm glad that it can serve that role. I want to see this on the news headlines. This is Anthony. And how do you say your last, last name, by the way? Is it Desiato? Desiato, yep. Desi- you got it. Sweet. Um, is it is it Hispanic? Italian. Italian. Ah, that's why it sounds such a lovely name. Uh, I have a thing for other languages. I hate English. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, a, and I'm German, and I don't know. It's weird. But you know, I, I want to see the headline, man, where it turns out to be like Anthony Desiato has saved the comic book business and the end. Well, not the end of business, but the comic book stores and the shops all across the United States. Like how his movie. Like that would be amazing to me to see that because I think it could. Like I just rewatched it right before doing this show. Actually, to be honest with you, and I was like, oh, let me rewatch a little bit. Watch last night. Let me. I mean, I want to rewatch it because it was so good. I almost teared up on a couple parts of it too. To be honest with you. Oh, that means a lot. That um, I mean, like I said, it's 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 always been a love letter, and it comes from. Mm. You know, that place of love. Like, I had a very meaningful experience at the comic shop that I went to and, sh- and worked at for many years. And then I went off to all of these other stores and met wonderful people. I mean, you know, am I best friends with everybody who was in the movie? No. But there are people who I genuinely became friends with, um, you know, beyond just filmmaker and subject. Yeah. And, you know, so to whatever extent, you know, that comes across, you know, that that's really for me like that place that it's coming from. And you know, I appreciate you watching it. And the re- the multiple times thing is really interesting to me because I have had now a number of people say like they watched it more than once, which I don't know that you always get with the documentary. So that really means a lot. Oh, I think it's really bill real. I, I can't speak any English today, apparently. And I'm a writer. <laughs> shit. <laughs> um. Being able to relate to it, the relatability to it of, I think, you know, this is also being not feeling alone. It's that sense of feeling you get when you walk into the damn store, I think, is, oh, wow, there is. Oh, wow, surprising, there's sirens over there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, well, the, the, that the fact that, you know, you're not alone, You there's more people like you. Like, oh, here, here are these owners. And, you know, shout out to Ken Brown, who, who runs Drawing the Comics out here. He's been hit hard by everything going on, and... Let me tell you, like, you know, you get worried someone went on too, but fans have been coming out. They're doing the home deliveries. Have you seen stuff about that right now? It's been, the like, the one, like, bright spot in this is you see how stores have been innovating. And, I, yeah. I like, I give them so much credit because it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, stores doing home delivery, mail order, um, you know, online sales, Instagram sales, curbside pickup. Like, they're doing all this stuff. And now they don't even have any new product at the moment. Um, so, you know, I'm seeing them, you know, they're doing videos highlighting, uh, you know, just trade paperbacks, graphic novels that they recommend that people read if they miss them the first time around because they don't have new releases. Exactly. And it's like, you know, um, again, it's, I'm, I'm impressed with the efforts that they, that many of them have undertaken just to stay open and, and still be able to, you know, serve their customers. Exactly. And I re- I'm hoping they stay open. One, because I got friends of mine who run shops and power to them. Like, and it really, you really captured everything in the movie. But I, there's one dream of mine, man. And I write five comic book series right now. And this has been extremely wonderful time in quarantine to do scripts. But the dream is to like go into a comic book store that shaped me into who I am and helped save my life in so many different ways. I've talked about it on the show. Fans already know. But in a sense where... I want to be able to see 
one of my books out there, maybe be picked up by somebody and, you know, in a shop somewhere and they just sit down and read it or they buy it and they go out and read it or maybe they come back for another one. They don't they can just read one and be like this was shit. But you know what? You picked it up and it still made you think. It made you change your maybe a view on something in the first positive or helped you escape. That's the dream is to be able to walk in a comic book store and see one of my books on there, which before everything hit was going to be a really soon possibility besides the fact. So it's like, I think you really captured what we wanted as fans in the see this like, okay, it's a comic book shop documentary. What are we going to see here? And you're like, Oh wow. Fans, we like hardcore fans like myself. We know the ins and outs a little bit there. If you're also a good person, want to ask how the stores are run, and you caught it, man. Like you caught the bass fish. <laughs> uh, no, I thank you. I mean, that was, you know, from the beginning with this, it was a fine line to walk because I wanted this to be something that, you know, for people who are in the industry or even just, you know, a customer who's a little more savvy and hmm. has had that conversation with their retailer about what goes on behind the scenes. You know, I wanted it to be something that would be satisfying to them, where you really do get a thorough look behind the curtain. But then it also had to be something that, you know, could be watched and enjoyed and understood by people who, you know, don't necessarily have that background. Um, And so that was always sort of like my guiding light as I was putting this together. It's like, you know, I don't want the people who know this stuff to be bored, but I also want this to be accessible for people who aren't into this. Um, And, you know, that's why I, I tried to have as much of a mix in there as possible. So, you know, obviously, yes, we spend a lot of time on ordering comics and the Wednesday routine and all of that. But, you know, just those 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 conversations that happen that spring up between customers on the floor, the whole back issue segment of the movie, the collectability. You know, I tried to, you know, cover as many bases as possible. So you so a it's, you know, different, you know, different facets to hopefully hook somebody. But also, I genuinely think all of these all of these pieces do fit together to, to tell the to tell the story. I mean, the whole movie could have just been, you know, Wednesday routines, but I wanted to kind of pull back a little bit go into collectors homes you can see the collections that they have like what mm. happens to this stuff when it leaves the store you know those are some of the ideas that i always had in my head from the start of this and dude i just it left me speechless i think a little bit too and fucking hell you had mark wade on the damn thing i didn't even notice it. i'm like wait that is mark wade holy shit it's so i mean he's one of my all-time favorite writers uh superman Bur- so superman's my favorite character and oh dude anthony you and me right. too you and me too man he there's a reason why the logo for the show is a little bit like superman and a 100 percent i'm super glad to see that yeah no absolutely and so and so birthright is my fa- out of all the origin stories they've done birthright's my favorite really? and um yeah and so it was it was i was so honored that he did it uh, I was out in California, so my wife was with me for ba- almost all of the production. Um, so we were out in California, mm-hmm. and um, which is where he's based, and he he came to our hotel. <laughs> what? Set up and ready to go. Yeah, it, I mean, it was. I couldn't. He, he could not have been uh, more more. He was so gracious with his time, and just gave me a lot of really good content to work with. Yeah, it was great. And just having that. That's the thing too. You know, going back to what I was saying before. You know. I could have just populated this with retailers, and I'm sure it would have been fine, but I really wanted to get those other perspectives because you have other people who interact with the stores. So, you know, retailers are at the heart of this, but, you know, you have the creators. We have a couple of publishers. We have collectors and customers. So you put all of them together, and you do get this wider view of of the comic shop, not just just through the lens of the retailer, but also the other people who interact with stores. Now, I'm really curious about something, and I, I really wanted to ask you this, man. Are you a fan of Clerks? Because I got a really good Clerks vibe from the, be- especially the beginning of the movie. I'm like, 
oh my god, this guy's a fellow Kevin Smith fan. If not, he really <laughs> nailed it on the head. Holy shit. I take that as a compliment. Yeah, I'm a big Kevin Smith fan. Yes. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because, I, you know, I was reflecting on this recently where mm. um, I, I recently watched Jay and Silent Bob reboot mm. and really, really, this is now maybe a month or two ago, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, the Affleck scene, uh, you know, I won't spoil it for people who haven't seen it yet. You can spoil it. You can spoil scene, it. It's been a while. It, and if you haven't seen it, it come was, on. It, well, that's true. Uh, well, it's not really so much of a spoiler, but the the speech about fatherhood, and as a new father mm. myself, it boy, it hit home, and it was so meaningful to me. And then just as a fan, and kind of knowing, you know, that the that Smith and Affleck, you know, hadn't spoken in so long, the fact that they came back together and did it was wonderful. But when after I watched that, like I really thought about, you know, the effect that Kevin Smith and his movies had had on me because I got into his stuff in high school, so this was I was like a probably a senior, so like 2004, 2005, hmm. and I remember uh, my, my best friend from high school, he and I, we took a weekend, and we watched, at that point, the entire View Universe, which was the five, the first five movies, that's what was out at the time, and absolutely fell in love with the movies and characters and Kevin Smith himself and his work, and as I was reflecting on it, I was like, you know, I think that was really one of the first times where it dawned on me that, like, oh... I, like you can make a movie like this and you know Kevin Smith has talked about his own inspirations on, you know on that level and he was that for me and as, as I'm sure he has been for so many others but this idea of like okay you don't necessarily need quote unquote permission you know to, to make no. a movie you don't need someone to hand you millions yeah. of dollars it's like you can just go and do this and I think that really was one of the first times that I mean if you could ask me hey can you just make a movie I'm sure I would have said oh yeah but it just didn't dawn on me, I think, until that moment. And that was like one of the earliest seeds uh, for filmmaking in my head. Hey, folks, Dakota here with a little bit of an ad break. But this is one you definitely want to listen to if you guys are a comic fan, which you are if you're listening to the show. You guys like comics and you like reading them in person. Well, let me tell you, go to Drawn the Comics in Glendale, Arizona. This is not just a hype thing for this ad. Let me tell you. I've been going there for years. I've had Cam Brown on the show all the time. Such a good guy. It's such a good community. Everyone who works there, they know you. They, you get your box number. You get your thing. You get all you need to do there. You get your collectible toys, car, whatever it may be. Comics, it's all there for you guys. That's Drawn the Comics in Glendale, Arizona. Here's the address, 5801 West Glendale Avenue, Glendale, Arizona, in downtown Glendale. And if you guys want to visit them, you can visit them, drawntocomics.com, or find them on social media, and the number is 623-847-90. 9-0, you give them a call. Definitely, guys, I love going to the store. And this is not a fucking lie. I love going. It's so amazing. Thanks, everyone. And hopefully, you guys check them out if you're in Arizona or maybe passing through. Remember, guys, draw on the comics. Go check it out for your books. Reading books in person is so much better than digital. But I love digital, too, so it's a little bit of a toss-up. Support brick-and-mortar companies. We definitely need you to. Thanks, everyone. And now, without further ado, I'm going to take it back to future me. And I think the other seed is could be like like I mentioned before, dude, is the relate relatability of it because you know everyone's able to relate to clerks. Like, shit, fuck, I definitely me too. Let me tell you. But you know, Jay and Silent Bob, you can relate to a little bit of that. You can't really relate to everything. I I wish I could see like there's okay. If I wish I could get that stone where I could be meeting some big famous rappers. But besides the fact, uh, <laughs> you know, like you have that relatability into it and. Being able to relate to all these different people, I think, is something that you don't often get. Like, you get to be able to relate to, like, oh, my God, you know, Oliver Queen, you know, I, I, dark times, I've been through that sort of thing, too. But to be able to relate, like, almost full-heartedly as your inner child, 
you don't really get to relate that much. But then with like View of Scooterverse and then your film as well too, which we haven't even given the name of. Holy shit. I just thought about this. We've talked about it. We have not given the name. I will in the intro. But in this so far, we have not given a name. So what is the name of the movie, good sir? My Comic Shop Country. There we go. I, how did we not do that? <laughs> We're all like, hype it up. And it's like, fans are, what the hell? Um, well, we'll keep people on the edge of their seats. Like, what is this thing called? War of the Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have known? Oh, man. No, it's it's a new movie called Contagion. It's a real-life drama. <laughs> yes. Oh. And I think that's always something that, you know, you don't really get that often in the movies. And documentaries, I think, especially, because usually when you watch a documentary, it's on, who murdered the woman today? It's like, well... <laughs> or it's like, oh, here's this war zone, but this one's like, no, 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 no. Calm it down here. Here's something that you want to be able to, you can see and relate to a little bit. Yeah, that was, you know, it's funny you say that. It's funny you say that because I think that in some ways made it a little bit of a harder sell. Like when really? I was trying to find distribution because it, I want, you know, interestingly though, I wonder if I were shopping it around now where, as you mentioned earlier, you know, it is, it is more, much more timely uh, and relevant mm. now. I wonder if it might've been a little bit of an easier road. I don't know, but I think at the time, and I, you know, I don't know, I didn't get this feedback, but I just, I can't help but wonder but like you're saying, like there are so many documentaries that, you know, touch on the, you know, like war and famine and disease and, you know, these like really, you know, global issues and that are really harrowing and, you know, obviously, uh, you know, crime, crime docs, murder docs, like, you know, so big right now. Yeah. And this is not that. I don't know how to make one of those movies. And, you know, it's funny because my mother for for years, you know, she's, she's been supportive of my uh, creative endeavors. And, you know, even as a kid, like she always would take me to the comic shop, even though she didn't love the idea that I read comics. But she's been very supportive, but she's always said to me, like, well, you know, if you did something that, like, could reach a wider audience, like, <laughs> like war or and, and it's like, you know, I was like, sure, but that's not I, – I, my passion isn't there. I don't know – I don't have the tools necessarily to tell those stories, but I, I do have the tools for this. And, you know, so it, the fact that it's resonating with people really means a lot to me. Um, and, yeah, this is 100 percent like the movie that I wanted to make. And there are plenty of those other types of documentaries, and it's – you know, they're there. Um, but I felt like this is an opportunity to maybe do something – you know, a little bit different to have like a little bit of humor and, and you know, to, uh, you know, to have it have that relatability. Yeah. Um, you know, th- so that was definitely, you know, a goal. I would, you see the difference between you and me, Anthony, is I would definitely tell my mom this of, oh, you want me to go do, I can go do that, mom. But then the risk of me dying is so much faster than doing this one on comic book shops. You, I can go to the war area if you want. I'm like, what happened? All you got was my camera. I was like, oh, it's. <laughs> true <laughs> yeah well i'm curious because how the, how'd you get started i mean co- well, okay, you know what i want to ask this first because we all have our favorite dude what was your first comic book because this had to have done this was it superman the death of superman so oh. it's funny because like i for, for any of my podcast listeners who listen to this they're gonna be like oh my god he's talking about this again because I, I talk about it a lot really um, yeah, but it was, I mean, it's my comic book origin story and it's what got me started on this journey. So I was five years old. Uh, my parents had taken me to the Galleria Mall in White Plains, New York, mm. and we happened upon a now, I now closed a uh, comic book store called Heroes World, which was part of the larger Heroes World chain. Um, and in the window display, so this was like winter 92 and in their window display to promote the death of Superman storyline, they had 
and I, again, this is like seared into my memory. They had a Superman action figure in a little box designed to mimic a coffin. Oh, Jesus. And yeah, no, <laughs> but I wasn't traumatized. Yeah, so, okay, good. It, it, re- it really caught my attention because I had had, I think probably that very Superman action figure was the Kenner Superpowers line. Oh. Um, I had had that figure, you know, I had gotten the toy at some point and I'm sure I had seen, you know, moments at least of the Superman movies or the Superboy TV show at the time. So like I, there was that recognition of, oh, that I know that character. And he's, I don't even know what sort of concept of death I had at the time, but uh, it, it just, it caught my attention. And, you know, my parents brought me in, they bought me, it wasn't even the single issue, it was the trade paperback that DC rushed out um, as soon as the single issues came out. So it was the trade paperback collecting the entire death of Superman. And I was five, my dad read it to me. I, remember, I still remember him reading to me that, that death of Superman, and that just hooked me. And so... You know, it's not we mentioned before, like, favorite characters. Like, it's probably not surprising Superman's my favorite character. It made such an early impression on me. So that was how I got started, at least, uh, with comics. Very nice. I wouldn't have figured the death was the birth. <laughs> Even though the birth came out, like, well, a few months later. And then it was, it was like, the death was the birth of my fandom, damn it. <laughs> it yeah, no, it's funny, though, because I always think about that. And I've, I've talked about this on one of my podcasts, but mm-hmm. it's like, what effect does it have when your first, <laughs> the first story of a character you read is, is that character's death? And I could do, we got to do a whole hour on this, but I think that like the main, the main thing for me at least was, you know, one of the criticisms you always hear about Superman is, oh, he's too powerful. Like it's hard to tell stories because he's too powerful. When the first story you read is that character dying, you don't really feel that way. No. Right? Like there are, there are real stakes. So that's why that argument, at least I never bought because I'm like, well, listen, <laughs> clearly, clearly that's not the case. Like there are, there is an upper limit to what he can, what he can do and what he can withstand. So I'm about to age myself right here because there is – because you said you graduated in 2004? I graduated high school in 2005. 2005. I'll be 33 uh, on Wednesday. Oh, God. So this is going to be kind of funny because I graduated in 2015. (laughs) That's funny. So I I got them out, man, and I want to just – this might make you laugh here. My first comics was three of them, and I bought them in Branson, and I was growing up – I grew up in Illinois, but I bought them in Branson – because we're on vacation. I'm like, comic book shop, those exist? And here you might laugh. One is a Transformers book. It's the Heart of Steel. It's not even the first one. It's number three. And it was when they went steampunk in like the 1800s of Cowboys. And then the other two were Invincible Iron Man, Dark Reign. And my first comic book was watching Iron Man, or not watching, well, my first, I read Iron Man's first. And my first, I'm like, oh my God, this is cool. It was before the movies. And I, I'm seeing Iron Man with the help of Pepper Potts, stick a giant needle through his eye in his brain to get the data because he's being hunted down by evil, by Norman Osborn and all that other stuff, Dark Rain. And so, like, he's extracting all this data. And I'm like, oh, my God. So that was my first comic was watching, like, the hero I watched in a cartoon just all of a sudden stick a giant needle in his eye to his brain. He's like, if I can't have this information, no one can. So, like, two things jump out of me as we say. First of all, it's it's really funny with the with the ages. So, I work in law school admissions, so I deal with a lot of, you know, people getting ready to apply to law school, and we have current students who work with us as student workers, and you know, they're all oh, early early to mid twenties. And I made a reference recently to Charles in Charge, the old sitcom. Oh, really? And our, stu- and our student worker was like, "What is that?" And I was like, "Oh man, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting older now." Um, so that was fun. But also, uh, as far as you know, like you mentioned, your first comics. I this I realized this within the past few years. It's like you know everyone's 
origin story and entry point, everyone's favorite. Like, it's all valid, and it's it's all, you know, specific to you. Because, like, you know, maybe to you, Death of Superman seems like, oh, wow, so long ago. You know, plenty of people who have been reading comics, like, decades longer than me might look at Death of Superman and be like, oh, that's how we got into comics? Like, I got into comics in the Silver Age. So, like, it's all, you know, it's all relative, it's all yeah. relevant, it's all valid, um, you know, it, whatever makes that impression on you, you know, and, 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 but that was something that kind of dawned on me recently, because I guess I always, not that I had a chip on my shoulder, but I feel like whenever I would speak to older fans in particular, and I would say, oh, Death of Superman is what got me into comics, it's not the most well-regarded story of all time, no. and, you know, again, to someone who's been reading for, for decades, like, that, that might not seem like, you know, that, I don't know that great of a story, so you know I kind of I kind of came around on that a little while ago. So now I say it very proudly, uh, as as I hope you do as well with <laughs> with your stories. Oh yeah, because origin stories. People are like, oh, we don't need any more. But like, no origin stories. I mean, we don't need any more Spider Man origin stories or Batman. I'm so sorry, we don't need any more in the movies. But we do always need an origin story because I always, oh, I always ask people like how they got started because. They always matter because you don't know what origin story is going to inspire somebody else. You don't know. Maybe when you think about it and say it out loud because no one's really asked you, what can maybe what what doors open in your brain? What thing new things? Oh, like, oh, wait, that's right. Oh, wait a minute here. And newfound happiness and joy. You just don't know. Like origin stories, I think, are still important. Yet people dog on them all the time. Yeah, this is true. Mm. Yeah, no, I know. Very true. It's, and that's the, I mean, that's the foundation. So yeah. I think we always have to remember that. And, you know, in the context of like a fan's origin story, you know, again, like those early impressions are so formative and they yeah. shape, I think, the type of fan and they shape your tastes, you know, as you're moving forward. So, uh, yeah, no, you always got to hold on to those. So as a guy who works in film, I do writing, directing, uh, SFX, like practical effects and stuff like that in costume and a little bit of acting. I gotta ask a good man because we all have that certain niche that we like working in. Do you have is documentaries gonna be the thing that you like doing from now on, or is it one of those? Okay, this is my first movie. I got this out here. It's doing phenomenally well. But what is the next thing for Anthony here? Is it another documentary? Are you going to that war zone? Because I wish you luck. Is it a? <laughs> no, no war zone. So oh. this is actually this is um so this is my fourth documentary. Why what? what? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, I did my research. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 that's that's quite all right. So this is the this is the biggest one though, um, just in terms of the production and the scope and the budget. Oh. Even though it's still a very relatively minuscule budget, uh, but with this movie, I kind of leveled up, I would say. But um, so the first documentary I ever did. So I got into comics right with the death of Superman. Was a fan for well, ever since. I started working at Alternate Realities, which of course. Fig, you know, plays into the new documentary, oh, but yeah. I started working at Alternate Realities in high school and throughout college, and actually during law school, I, the first summer, uh, after my first year of law school, I made a very, very Clerks-ish um, documentary film about Alternate Realities, and that's called mm -hmm. My Comic Shop Documentary. Um, so really, like, very, you know, zeroed in on the community at that particular store, and the owner's love-hate relationship with it, um, and it's you know, again, I was very much learning the ropes as I was making it, but I think it really does tap into our community. Like it really, it really captures that spirit of the community that we had at the store. 
Um, and that played at a number of film festivals. Um, and it was, you know, was one, I mean, that was an amazing experience to, to have that happen with, with the first thing that I did. Um, and then I did a documentary short on a, com- a flea market uh, comic vendor as he was forced to close up when the flea market shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a, that's a short film that's called By Spoon, the Jay Mizell story. And both of those are actually, uh, they're free on Vimeo. I put them up recently for free oh, on free. Vimeo, so anyone who wants to check them out uh, is welcome to. Uh, and then I did a documentary completely separate uh, about a puppeteer, an aspiring puppeteer. Um, so it ch- changed pace a little bit. And then I returned to my roots uh, of, of uh, comic shops for this new film. Uh, but for this one, I ran a Kickstarter campaign and raised some money, and I got new equipment. And I, you know, I took everything that I had learned of making those first three documentaries and, and, and put them in here. And um, you know, so that that's my comic shop country. And then as far as what's next. Uh, I love making documentaries. I love, mm-hmm. I mean, I love, I guess, you know, journalism and storytelling generally. And so I have a podcast called My Comic Shop History. The whole first season of that show was about the closing of alternate realities. So, oh, you know, obviously that we touch on that in the new documentary, but for anyone who like really wants to deep dive into that, um, the first season is all about that. And then uh, in subsequent seasons, I we talked about collecting and other stores. So basically like the... The podcast was very much like research and prep for me in a lot of ways for the docu- for the new documentary. Um, and then as far as, yeah, what's next beyond that, uh, yeah, I love, I mean, I love doing this. So I already know what the next documentary will be. Not quite ready to announce yet, but, yeah. uh, but I do know what it will be, and that, that'll, that'll be where my efforts are directed next. My name is Andrew, and I am the host of a show called Rage Hunter. And on Rage Hunter, we cover the latest news, and what's trending in the gaming industry, with just a hint of some sarcasm and rage. You probably have this hole, you know, this void in your life that you don't know how to fill. Well, Rage Hunter is going to fill it. And the best part is we are everywhere. iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Play Store, Spotify, Podbean, Instagram, Twitter. So that way, you can get as much rage in your life as possible. And some news while you're at it. So come check us out and be a part of the greatest gaming podcast in the universe. See you there. Is it at least nerd themed? Yes. Okay. All right. Off the record, I would like to know. So just and it will not. It will stay and die with me. But because I'm really curious. But it's nerd themed. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's still. It's still. It's within this. It's still within this world. Which there are a lot of different facets to it, so it could, could be any number of things. But it's just it's extremely early right now. But I'm just kind of starting to put a pitch together, uh, and then we'll try to take it out and try to get funding. I mean, you know, for mm. this again, I had to the Kickstarter campaign. I raised fifteen thousand dollars, which is was a lot to me. But as far as you know, a documentary or any film budget is very small. But that allowed me to get the equipment that I wanted to work with. Uh, but you know, then I went off and I made the movie, and then I tried to shop it around to distributors and finally found one. But uh, I think the path moving forward is going to be to try to get someone to fund the the movie up front and, and potentially even secure distribution initially. Um, and I, again, we could do a whole podcast on distribution, but uh, the sort of the road of like making a movie and then bringing a finished product to the table and trying to sell it, it's kind of tough just in terms of like the streaming platforms and how they operate right now. So that's kind of where my efforts will be directed in trying to pitch this and, um, and, and go from there. How long does it usually take to make a documentary, man? Because I'm used to working on films where we're doing about two to three months or you know, the weeks or for filming at least, but then a few months of prep time, let me tell you in the workshop. But 
one is it usually take? Or, I mean, obviously it's taken a couple of years for my comic shop documentary, but what is it like for documentaries? Is it usually that long? Is it a couple of years for them to come out? Or is it one of those things where you can maybe if you got like the Warner Brothers behind your back, you can knock it off in a year or something like that? Or is it is it long to do even like film it, too? I think it's I think it's such a range and I think it depends mm. on so many factors. I mean, you know, sometimes documentaries will just run out of money, you know, and they stop. Um I, I don't think I'm <clears throat> I don't think I'm so unique in that I know I have a day job that I had to balance with this as well. So that played a role. I mean, if this yeah. were what I were doing full time, yeah, I probably could have done it faster, but you know, I had to fit everything into a 9 to 5 day job. Uh, and this movie, of course, you know, my comic shop country involved a lot of travel. So there was that wrinkle to it as well. So, there, I mean, there's just so many factors. I mean, I would say for me, though, you know, the Kickstarter campaign was the end of 2017. I was in prep mode for the first, uh, yeah, I'd say January, February, March of 2018. That's when I was testing out all the new equipment and scheduling, which which was probably the most, was probably the hardest part of this whole thing was just lining everything up. Um, and then, uh, I filmed really, yeah, from like spring and summer uh, of 2018 and then uh, fall of 2018, I was getting into the editing and at the time I would have told you like, oh, I'm really editing this. But looking back, it was, I was just starting to chip away. Really. There was so much to do. Um, but so really like winter, winter 2018 into 2019 was the heaviest editing and then i was done with a first cut by march 2018 jesus um kind of left it alone for a while after that and it played at a, at a number of film festivals which was wonderful and then uh late late 2019 uh, is when i went back in and i did my final cut um so that was the you know the, the whole arc of this project but you know again i think for any film like it just really depends yeah on your budget on your your own scheduling demands on we you know who and what your subject is i mean you know when i did the first film my comic shop documentary about alternate realities i did that in a summer that was oh, it shit. <laughs> you know so but it was one store and i did all the interviews at the one store you know and and then i edited and and i was you know on break between schools so like i had that was literally the only thing i had to do so again there's such a range and i'm sure you'd, you'd hear that range from other you know filmmakers that you talk to so it really depends but um, huh. but yeah that was that was the arc for this this was years in the making <laughs> i mean it it you know what though it shows it's one of those where the years of work i think show and it's a nice part is is I think it was a good thing it took years to make because like we talked about before way in the beginning throwback is it's more relevant now than ever so I think it was a good thing to do and I like projects that take years to do because if it takes years to do that means you're really taking the time the effort you know the motivations there to get it done to make it right because you want it to be right you don't want to be like let's rush this thing which I'm afraid of for most of the movies come out in 2021 right now because yeah. of all the rushness Jurassic World, I'm looking at you, but it's really something like along those lines that's, I don't know, I'm a big fan of taking years for work, and I get criticized for that shit immensely in the film industry, let me tell you, but I think it's really something you need to do, and if you really want something to be good, take years to make, like Avatar, how many years did they wait to make that movie? He waited fucking, I think, eight years, James Cameron did, just for the technology to catch up. Yeah, and no, I mean, there's, I think there's something to be said for that, and, you know, and like, for James Cameron, like, he's in a position, he's, you know, he's able to wait, I mean, it's, you know, that's true, (laughs) 
But like, <laughs> you mean to tell me, Anthony, you don't have the money of James Cameron? <laughs> well, if only. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but you know, it's. I think. I think if you're taking the time because it needs the time and you're using the time to make it a better product, then mm. I 100% agree. I think the only thing that, and thankfully I did not fall into this trap, but I think, you know, where, you know, filmmakers or any content creator, like where you really have to just be careful is, you know, if you're dragging your feet because you're, I don't know, the idea is not there or the passion isn't there or you're just scared or whatever. Uh, you know, that's where I think it could, it could get a little tricky, but I think, yeah, as long as you, you know, you need that time and you're using it, um, you know, it's, it's, it's worth it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I describe this project and it has been described as a labor of love and it, it truly is. Uh, but as one, one of my film subjects uh, said this recently, it's a labor of love about those who, who labor in love. So, uh, just like the retailers, uh, I feel like we were on the same page. I love it. I absolutely love it, dude, man. I'm not gonna lie to you. There's, I. It's weird because I kind of knocked it a little bit here, but I think doing a documentary film, like being embedded somewhere, like I wouldn't mind being embedded, like some war zone or something like that, where they speak English. Because fuck learning another language, I barely got through Spanish in high school. But, um, well, I actually eh, take that back. I did get through pretty well. Or you know, like following on like behind the scenes of a film movie or something like that. Like, do you recommend doing documentaries to filmmakers out there? Because it's been a project I've always wanted to be a part of, like following some people doing a thing like that and traveling and whatnot. But do you recommend it, or is it one of those where like, uh, hold, you gotta really, really want to do it? That's an interesting question. I mean, I would say. You know, if you're like just kind of curious about a documentary, would I say go make one? I don't know, but would I say like, oh, go shadow someone making one? Yeah, you know, it's it's the sort of thing like for you to like really take it on as a, as your own project. I think there's a, a a very high level of passion that you have to have. I mean, for any movie, but especially a documentary. Um, but as far as like you said, like following someone around, like just like the making of it and following a subject. It's fascinating, and with my various projects, like some of them I, I kind of had mapped out a little bit more in advance than others, um, but with the documentary in particular, you know, so much, like the interviews are planned, right? Like you know what you're going to ask the person, yeah. but even then, during the course of an interview, you know, and that's my favorite part, and that's, I guess, the podcaster in me. Like I love conducting the interviews. That's my, that's my favorite aspect of, of filming these movies, but even within that, it's like, you know, you'll ask one thing and something else will pop up and you'll go in a different direction, but especially when you're filming just the, 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 the action and then even more so when you're in editing. I feel like so much of the movie comes together in the editing. Um, that's kind of like the exciting thing about the documentary and actually going back to – this the uh, the short film that I mentioned, the By Spoon, the Jay Mizell story. Mm. Um, I was so this was a, a very curmudgeonly uh, comics vendor at a flea market in in Westchester, New York, for decades, and uh, very gruff exterior, but the sweetest man you'll ever meet. A uh, very dear friend of mine. He's a, he's in his eighties, mm. uh, so he's been like a like a second, uh, you know, another grandfather to me. But um, he he was in the first documentary that I did very briefly, and then I, I wanted to do a, a spotlight on him. And, you know, so I started filming, and the idea it was just going to be like a profile of him. And then during the course of filming, or actually right after I had finished filming, the flea market announced that it was closing. And so I resumed filming and, you know, got him on camera as he was boxing up literally decades of, of his life's work. 
And again, at just as the circumstances we're facing today, it's like I wish that had not happened on a personal level. It was oh, terrible. Yeah. I felt, you know, my heart went out to him. But for purposes of the movie, like all of a sudden now, this movie was really about something more so than it had been before. Like it would have been fine if it had just been a profile. But now it was about this person boxing up a life's work, and it it, it packs a punch. Um, and there's some great music in there that I think really kind of kind of um, is a nice accent to that as well. Um, and so same thing with this with this movie now. I mean, you know, it didn't you know everything that's going on in the world right now didn't necessarily change the making of the movie, but it's given it a new meaning now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like the. You know, it can be a challenging part of documentary filmmaking, but an exciting part, too, where you, you really don't know what's going to happen, both in terms of the story you're telling and, and the, you know, the circumstances in which it's ultimately received and released. Uh, it's you just you don't know, as, as I've experienced. <laughs> I think it's. Yeah, you nailed it right on the head, though. I mean, there's just so many things we, I think going forward, especially in filmmaking, especially in comics, too. Like, right now, my company, like, our, do- our doors are kind of shut at the moment. Like we're trying to grasp everything and still go forward. And this is, like, week three. We just don't know the ramifications, I think, that are going to be happening with it, too. So there is the fact of, you know what, Anthony? I'm going to say it now. There's going to be so many people going out there with homemade corona documentaries. There are yes. 100%. There's no way we're not going to see a huge influx of that. Like, shit, I've already saw a teaser poster on, like, someone sent me one of, like, someone who's doing a film on Radio Corona. I'm like, how the hell are you doing that? But, because, uh, laws. Uh, but you just don't know, like, with that sort of documentary thing. So I think I would definitely give the recommendation of don't do the Corona right now because it's like, oh, this is a good opportunity. No, because everybody and their mother is going to be doing one. If you have a social media and you're posting about it, you're technically doing one right now. So, I mean, there's that. But in that sense, like, you just don't know what's going to happen in the near future with doing filmmaking and documentaries and such, too. So we do live in that weird time, I think, at the moment. We should acknowledge, you know. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think about that. Like, you know, I said to my wife, I'm like, I'm so glad we filmed this when we did. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if I were in the middle of filming right now, that would be it. You know, I would would really be in a very tough spot. So... um, yeah, I mean the, the the timing of it is is really you know that's the you know as much as you can plan and prepare, you know certain things are just out of your control. But yeah, as far as you know people making Corona documentaries and things like that, it's like, you know if that's the story that you really feel passionate about telling, I guess I would say go for it. I I, I guess I'm not a I I would never advocate that someone like does a film just because they think like oh this is what people want to see. I mean I, I don't know, and that just has that's never the way I've operated. Like I've always mm-hmm. made. A la Clerks, going back to Kevin Smith, it's like I always made this, the movies that I wanted to see. So it's like, you know, to shine a light on my comic book store and this comic vendor and now all of these other stores. Like, those are the types of movies that I would want to watch. So that that's always been my guiding light. That's the way to do it. That's definitely the way to do it. Because that, that's where the passion is. That's where the love is. That's where all the positivity things you want that are going to be shown in the movie. It's not like, we're doing this for money. Like, Avengers, yeah, you're doing it for money at this point. You got my money, too. Don't worry. Huge fan. But when you want the passion there, when you want everything like that, I mean, that's where I think you definitely need to come from as the director, as the, you know, the writer or whatever it may be. Like, shit, I've been working on a dinosaur script right now. I got a dino comic coming out, hopefully, in the fall. But, you know, I'm still working on it. I want to tell the story about paleontology and stuff. So I'm doing a movie on that at the moment here. And I probably can't say any more because I'll get in trouble. But, side effect. You know, we you have, damn you, NDAs. But besides the fact, too, is 
I think the passion has to be there whenever you're doing anything in the arts. And if you don't have the passion in doing it, really take a step back and be like, okay, why am I doing this? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree completely. Hey, folks, Dakota here. And do you guys like Dungeons & Dragons as much as I do? Because if so, you're going to like Adventures in Green and Garb. You know, they're a really fun new group on YouTube. They're a whole D&D campaign group. But let me tell you what they're all about. Adventures in Green and Garb started as most D&D campaigns do around their parents' dinner table. Last year, they decided to bring it to YouTube, though, with the addition of costumes and green screens. Come on, that's adds some really cool flavor flavor right there. Still in the family, their season one campaign is nearing its exciting conclusion with many mysteries yet to be revealed. They hope you enjoy it as much as they love making it and playing, doing so much with D&D. So smash that like button, subscribe, and share, and look for them at this year's Gen Con. So I'm extremely excited to have these guys a part of the Comic Chronicle and Film World podcast, you know, and to partner up and all that such, because they're truly wonderful people, and you guys should go subscribe and support them and give them a like. They're really, really fun. And because we've been playing throughout the commercial, I'm going to play you guys the theme that they have. The first time you're listening to this, you're going to want to go subscribe, and then we'll get right back to the podcast. Thanks, everyone. Let us roll you a tale where heroes prevail As we wander the blight Prepared for the fight On the edge of the world, claiming almighty glory In spite of the cost, love and loss frame our story We won't turn back now, bloodied by dragons made gory We roll this tale for you, roll for you Banded by fate, oblivion beware Watches great fires well, lightning cracking the air Olden powers unleashed, together taming the beast We roll this tale for you Roll for you. Come, venture along, ye daring hearts. Stoned and strong, be not afraid. Douse your doubts and join the Moving on, don't quit. Dreaming God won't forfeit. Don't look back, stay alive, smite them, survive. Keep moving on, don't quit. Dreaming God won't forfeit. Don't look back, stay alive, smite them, survive. Stay fast and through, we surrender our lives to defend all the realm till that good day arrives. When we lay down our swords, bodies scarred and bruised, having rolled a tale for you. On the edge of the world, claiming almighty glory In spite of the cost, love and loss frame our story We won't turn back now, bloodied by dragons made gory We roll this tale for you, roll for you Good. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm glad, because I was like, oh, wait a minute here It'd be like, no, you don't need the passion for it Like, oh, fuck, okay <laughs> Sorry, Anthony <laughs> Um, no, it's that's the one thing that I've I feel I've had. I mean, I, you yeah. know, it's so I'm a big. So we talked about Kevin Smith and we talked about Superman. Uh, I'm a massive Rocky fan. Really? And are you a Rocky fan? I am actually not a massive one, but I still I respect and love the Rocky films. They really, I mean, shit. How could you not like watch the movies and not want to go work out or go like do a sport? It's like, hmm. Like I it's get fit from it. Uh, 
but the, so uh, funny enough, though, my favorite of the Rocky films, and this is uh, most people would not agree with this, but Rocky Balboa, the, R- the sixth movie in the entry, my all my favorite. But that, really, we'll talk about that another time. Yeah. Oh my God, you're gonna get so but, much more hate mail. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but I enjoy them all, with probably the exception of five, which even Stallone has disowned. So that's okay. But yeah. you know, the first Rocky movie, um, and this carries through the other ones, but really the, that first one, uh, I think what was so resonant about it and why people tapped into it, um, I mean, yes, you know, his own passion for making the movie, but within the context of the story, you know, here was a guy who didn't have the means and the resources of his opponent. Like he didn't, mm. you know, he had uh, some raw ability, but not the most refined, you know, skill or talent, but he had the will you know, to, to stay standing in that ring. And so, um, so, you know, that, that passion that, you know, at its most basic level, that is what the one thing that I feel like I've had, like I, you know, I have some better filmmaking equipment now, thankfully, but you know, I didn't have as much to work with when I first started. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't go to film school and I have no formal training and I taught myself as I went. And so, but you know, the one thing that I've always had is that passion. So no, I'm a, I'm definitely with you on that front. I love it, dude. I love it. And, you know, the people out there who are like, you need to do film school. Look at Anthony. Look at myself. We didn't go to film school. We were working in the business. Should you just had a movie on Amazon and Apple. Like, I mean, you can buy it on Amazon Prime right now or rent it. Or, or, and then you can, I think it's only available for buying on Apple, if I remember correct, right? It's, no, you can rent or buy on uh, on Apple TV or oh. uh, Amazon. Ah, okay. I mean, you can still just buy it, people. Come on. You know. I mean, look, we talked about how rewatchable it is. So listen, I mean, you can, you know, true. You can rent it for, what, four bucks and then rent it again? Or, you know, you pay, pay for ten bucks. Or I think it's ten dollars on Amazon and thirteen on iTunes. That's a weird damn price, thirteen dollars. Like, oh, and thirteen. Like, what? As, yeah, well, but, uh, but yeah, so you have, the, you have the option. But yeah, if you think you might watch it more than once, then I think the purchase option. There's, I mean, how many people have rewatched the Tiger King documentary going on here? My sister's watched that at least three or four times at this point. Like, the whole series. That's seven hours. So, you, you know, it's possible. An hour of 25 rewatching ability. Not bad. Yeah, that was the other thing with the runtime. So, the original, the very first cut was 105 minutes. Then I shaved off five minutes. So, that 100-minute cut is what played it at film festivals. Mm-hmm. But then as we were getting into, you know, trying to secure distribution, I was like, I want to take this down a little bit because I think... Like, 85 minutes, I looked at some other documentaries that were out there, and they were in that range, and I was like, I think that would be very digestible, and i rather someone watches that, and they're like, oh, hey, I would have watched a few more minutes, than they watch the 100-minute cut, and they're like, you know, you really could have lost a few minutes, so yeah. uh, so that's that's where we ended up, and I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with that final runtime. I gotta ask, though, man, how did you not go insane doing the editing for that? Because I was looking, I'm like, wow, this is really good. I'm not blowing you. I'm to be honest. It was really good editing. And you're like, oh, I spent this time. Like, how did you do that? Like, what, what, what was, you spent a year on it, though? I mean, like I said, so, yeah, it's really hard to quantify Uh-oh. the man hours. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and the amount of time. And, you know, so, again, like, I, you know, would be working from nine to five. So there was a good period of time where, you know, my routine was working from nine to five, come home, have dinner, maybe watch, like, one episode of something, and then edit from, like, you know, eight until two in the morning. Yeah. And I did that for quite some time. And, um, and yeah, as far as the exact time frame of that, I mean, like I said, I remember taking off actually a few days from work in like October uh, 2018, and I, that was like really when I was really starting to go through the footage, um, and then I was done March 2019. So with within those few months, um, 
but again, I think it was really more in the winter when I was like really heavy into the editing. But yeah, this it was. Um, I mean, I appreciate the kind words, and, and I'm glad that you know you, you you enjoyed the final product. It was definitely like a lot of this came together in the editing, and it was tough because you know it's so many different stores, and you know you have a lot of people you know in, in designing my questions, right? Like there's a lot of overlap, and, yeah. and in some cases. It, you know, I mean, it's, it's all by design, and in some cases, it really works well because you can have people kind of going back and forth as if they're having a conversation, even though, of course, they're not. But you know, all speaking on the same on the same topic. Uh, but yeah, it was just a lot. I mean, obviously, a lot of footage that didn't make it in. Um, so it was really you know, a lot of hard cuts that I had to make, and um, you know, I, again, I had the overall sense of like these are the different areas that I want to get into, but I didn't have I didn't have a script. You know, I didn't have like a formal. Um, you know, even that formal of an outline. So yeah, a lot of it was in was in the editing. I mean, we could do <laughs> we could do a whole podcast on this, but you know, sometimes it comes down to like there were definitely instances where I was struggling with the sequence and like bending over backwards to try to fit something in, mm-hmm. and then I was like, well, let me see what happens if I take it out, and all of a sudden I was like, okay, this this works like way better. So you know, that's a really interesting facet to all of this with with the editing in particular is. You know, again, sometimes you drive yourself crazy, like trying to fit everything around one little thing. And then you realize like, oh, maybe you didn't really need that one little thing. And it just opens stuff up. So, uh, but yeah, it was very, it was a long process. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, I think it's the beauty of editing. The beauty of editing is one, you can really go insane if you don't watch yourself a little bit and take those breaks. Like you said, you were doing, you did it the right way, but the people I know who day, do it day in, day out, God bless you. Cause this, this is no way I've tried doing that. I refuse. I like. I there's just no way in hell. I they're like. What are you doing? Just start hissing from the room. Is he alive in there? I don't know. He hasn't come out of the workshop in a while. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think you also need, uh, you, again, just from my own experience, I think you need a deadline, whether it's imposed oh, yeah, by yeah. someone else or if it's self-imposed, because I think you can, you you could t- you could tinker with it forever, um, and I think that can really drive you nuts. And so if there's no finish line you know i really feel like you can drive yourself nuts but if you know like okay by this date like like for me i knew i was i so in march of 2019 i had a screening for uh some local cast and crew and kickstarter backers Mm. and i booked the theater and i was like okay like this is it like you have to have it done by then and i'm glad that i did because if i didn't have that date uh, I don't know. I'm sure. I, I'm sure I would have kept, you know, messing around with it. So I, I think it's. I think deadlines are helpful. That's good. I mean, yeah, especially for editing. For comics wise, maybe, maybe not. I had oh, there's someone on the show I had not too long ago. I think from Marvel. Excuse me. Uh, was we were talking about deadlines and that's how sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. For editing, they're good. For comics, sometimes bad, because it, I think it's, it's all relative and that sort of thing here, but. Oh, shit, I'm looking. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, yeah, there's definitely, um, you know, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at the time now, good man, Anthony, and I don't want to take too much of your time. We are coming near the end of the show, though. And I do want to say, though, man, I definitely, definitely thank you for coming on and helping to promote this good movie. And I think a movie, to, like we said, is more relevant now than ever. Hey, thank just thank you for coming on. This has been really fun. No, I, listen, I really had a great time. I enjoyed the conversation a lot. Um, so I thank you for reaching out to me. Uh, I'm so glad that you enjoyed the movie. It really means a lot. Uh, I appreciate all the kind words. And, um, yeah, hopefully we can chat again at some point. Oh, 100%. Especially if we got a new documentary coming out, whenever it may be, whenever, whenever. <laughs> but on whatever it may be, too. But 
Good man, this is the part of the show where I give it to the guests and say, you know what? It is time for you to plug away more than an electrician. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm no stranger to doing this, especially on my own show, so I'll have, that. I'll have, I'll have at it. Um, so my comic shop country, available to rent or buy on Apple TV or Amazon. Uh, I really i am so grateful to everyone who has already watched it, um, and if you haven't, I hope you'll check it out. Uh, my first two films, my comic shop documentary and By Spoon, the Jay Mizell story, those are both free to watch on Vimeo. My podcast is My Comic Shop History, and that is on Apple Podcasts and most other uh, major podcast platforms. Um, and then just social media-wise, uh, specifically related to the documentary, it's My Comic Shop Country on Facebook, My Comic Shop Country Movie on Instagram, and My Comic Shop Doc on Twitter. Very nice. You are a professional at doing it. It is like you have your own podcast or something like that, Anthony. It's oh, if only, you know, crazy thought. All right, good man. Well, like I said, we're at the we're at the end of the show, really. And is there any final words you want to give the listeners out there, other than go watch the movie? Uh, no, I, mean, I want to thank them for you know for listening to this, and um, you know, again, I appreciate everyone who's already watched the movie. And you know, again, I guess I'll make a plea on on behalf of comic shops. You know, whether you watch the movie or not, <laughs> but you know, on behalf of comic shops, you know, if you have a comic shop currently or if you have in in your past you know a comic shop that has meant anything to you if it's been part of your routine if you've gone in and it's kind of been a place for you to go and and be yourself and share your passion and your hobby with other people maybe if you haven't had that in other areas of your life like if you've had that type of comic shop experience and if you have the means and the interest to support your local comic shop now i really hope you will because this is a really difficult time for them and as we Mm. mentioned there are a lot of different things that they're doing now so if you reach out to your store whether it's your local store or or, i mean they're all doing mail order so you know if you i'll go and i'm just not trying to plug it but you know if you watch the documentary and you're like wow that store in wherever is really cool reach out to them because um, they're probably doing mail order or, you know, or something like that. So um, that would be my, I guess my final plea because uh, this really is a very difficult time for stores and, you know, anything is, is appreciated. Could not have said it any better. I swear to God, I could not. Well, thank you. Good man again for coming on the show and to all the comic fans out there listening hundred percent, go do what Anthony just said, you know, check out local comic book stores, you know, wherever it may be. Look them on Facebook, see what they're doing on there. I would say make sure to check them on social media, on their websites, see what they're doing, the deliveries, whatever. Some are doing home deliveries where it's not in contact, like Domino's right now. Just no contact with anybody. So don't they just drop it off at your front door. So you hope to God no one's dropping a bomb. Besides the fact. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And as the final words, as always, stay classy, comic book fans.